What's up, Jay Bones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Transylvania, Ontario, this is the Torture Act Podcast. I am your ghoulish host, Mark Basque. My co-ghost is John Freak Malta, and we are very spooked to be here with you, our friends in Deathsling. John, say something. Let the ghouls know you're not alive, pal. I'm ready for Halloween, and I'm ready to release the next issue of Torture Act. We still got a ways ahead of us, but um, issue five should be out December or January. Well, we've already been accumulating so much information. Like, we've been writing so many notes, and we have so many match grades, and so many lists that are just ready to be archived in this omnibus of wrestling love yeah dude i'm really really psyched to actually like dig dig in and start working on it uh we were talking earlier today just about how we have so many notes i mean and uh so much information going into this issue that we didn't have in the fourth issue because we weren't doing this podcast so it's going to be really fun to collab on some articles absolutely really like dig through all of the different stuff we've been covering over these last this is the 18th episode. You know what, John? They said it couldn't be done. They laughed at us. They said, "There's you can't watch all of the G1 and make an episode about it. It took us up to literally seconds before we recorded this podcast, but we have watched every night of the G1. What, what did you think, my boy? I'm ready, bro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> 55 matches. I don't know how many nights of the G1 that translates to. Uh, five matches a night. Ten, ten nights? No, 11 nights. 11 G1 nights in two weeks. 55 total matches. Before we uh, dive into uh, New Japan and really dig into what's going on there, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about uh, with AEW specifically in Full Gear, we've not really talked too much about this Uh you and me, or you, me, and Thomas, but what, where do you actually think the Eliminator Tournament is going? I think we talked about this on the last episode. We did a little bit, but like I, I think we just kind of were like, well, Omega's going to win. and I absolutely think Omega's going to win. So I've been thinking about it, and I feel like that that is one possibility. Like It's obviously the, sto- the two stories that are happening right now are Hangman and... Omega, you and I have not watched Being the Elite, so we haven't seen like what's happening between the two of them on uh, that show. But I was thinking about it, and do you think that it's possible, just like in thinking about like sort of the direction that Hangman has taken over the last year, and the hinting that they've done with uh, the Four Horsemen... Full Gear originally was like Hangman's pay-per-view. Like last year, the reason it was called Full Gear, like Hangman was getting Full Gear ready, uh, like in his storyline against Pac. That that would that storyline was built around Hangman. So in my in thinking about it, and the fact that they're sort of building up Bucks and FTR right now, I wonder if this will become like Hangman and FTR's sort of unifying pay-per-view, where maybe somehow hangman beats omega in the finals because of sean spears or ftr causing the best bout machine to truly go like full-on heel like just on a path of destruction 
because he's supposed to win and face Moxley, saving Mox versus Omega for double or nothing because the first double or nothing, the probably maybe the most iconic shot in AEW so far is Moxley like kind of like crouching behind Omega at the end of double or nothing. So I feel like that that Hangman winning that maybe makes more sense unless they wait and they won't wait like that long for the title shot. Like whoever wins the finals of the eliminator tournament will probably get a title shot at revolution. Right? So you're thinking Hangman wins, gets title shot, but loses against Mox. Yes. And then Mox later fights Kenny. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, up to this moment, I was pretty sure that Kenny was going to win just because you had said that, like, AEW was always doing the thing that, like, made the most sense rather than just trying to, like, swerve. Very um, often, yeah. And they so do. it did seem like it made the most sense to have Kenny win. But another thing they've been doing is kind of, you know, delaying things a little bit, putting off the inevitable. So they were putting off the inevitable for a while between FDR and the Bucks, but now suddenly the Bucks have won that tag team. Uh, four-way match for right. the Contendership. So is that happening at Full Gear? It seems like it, but then there was like sort of like an injury angle hinted at at the end of Dynamite last week. Because it, it feels like I'm not... I was emotionally invested a couple months ago, but I'm not right now, which doesn't mean that I can't be again, but they just need to do a little bit more to build up that rivalry again. Um, I do really think it helped when there was a like kind of a face and a heel, even if they weren't mm-hmm. the face and heel that we were. Right. Sort of rooting for, but having that delineation. Um, Bucks is just kind of like these like piss ants now, and FTR is sort of also annoying. So it's hard to get too worked up about that match right now. What do you think? Right, they have similar character archetypes at the moment, but maybe that is also to let this simmer even more. Yes, I, I hope that it is. I very much hope that they put this off because, yeah, I'm not invested at the moment. Because in my mind, the big, like, obviously the big match we're all stoked about is Kingston versus Mox in the I Quit match. But I feel like outside of that, there isn't, like, storyline-wise, there's not, like, a lot of, like, big, big surprising storylines that are happening, apart from Eddie Kingston getting this I Quit match. So it seems like it'd be interesting for them to subvert expectations and have Hangman win. Uh, I do think you are right in quoting what I said that I think they uh, oftentimes do <laughs> do the thing that makes the most you sense. You know what, Mark? Comforting. You were very right to quote myself <laughs> from before. I've made that. I made a great observation, but yeah, like I think that that's like comforting and good. Good that they do that, and which I think then sets up the opportunity for them to surprise us every now and then. And I do uh, like the idea of Moxley holding it on longer because I I yes. am kind of sad to think about him dropping it to Kenny. Uh, at the next pay-per-view. And you're probably right that, that maybe that's too soon. Maybe it's a little bit of a longer story that I'm sort of rushing into. He's just such a good champion, too. Just let him continue to hold it for a, a while. I would be happy to see him hold it till double or nothing next year. Speaking of letting champions hold on to their titles for a little bit, we skipped the first our first ever like WWE pay-per-view we have not watched together in, like, what, three years? Yeah, since twenty TLC twenty seventeen, maybe even a little bit before that, we we've watched every WWE pay per view together, not yeah. in the same room, but over over G chat. Uh, and, and now we, that uh, tradition is dead. This, well, it's not dead, but it's certainly the streak <laughs> is broken. The greatest streak in WWE history. Just trying to make it thematic for the episode. Oh scarier. yeah, it is dead. It is dead. <laughs> 
rest in <laughs> peace. But yeah, we didn't. We missed it, and we have. I haven't watched. Did you watch any of it? Oh, buddy, I haven't caught oh, up. I buddy. see the gif of Roman crying. Buddy. Uh, and doing some acting, but I, that's all I've seen from. Buddy, the I pay-per-view. they opened it with Roman versus Jey Uso, and mm-hmm. I don't know if this is dividing opinion online. I don't know. I don't really read online, so I don't know what people thought about it. I saw Wrestle Talk, loved it. I thought it was just, especially after watching so much G One, I just thought it was so overdone, like. Yeah. Just dragged on forever. And yeah, I you know what? Like, wrestlers are good actors when they're selling, like, physical pain, but not necessarily emotional pain. So I think if they had, like, done, like, a quick moment, like a, like a Shawn Michaels, like, I'm sorry, I love you kind of moment. But it just, right. like... There was like a more nuanced... So much talking in this match, John. There was so much fucking talking. <laughs> the ref, Wasn't it a Hell in a Cell match also? Hell in a Cell, I quit match. Like, <laughs> it didn't need to be. But the ref, like, every minute was just like, Jay, Jay, you can stop this. Jay, do you want to stop this? Jay, Jay, you can stop this right now. And he was just so heavily mic'd. And, like, Roman was so heavily mic'd. I hated it. I had to skip through it. I just thought it was terrible. Um, I didn't watch any of the rest because that really took the wind out of my sails, but also we had just watched so much G1, but I heard that, uh, Bailey and Sasha was, uh, I bet that ripped, but that was good. It was a great match and Sasha did win the title. Um, mm. and Randy Orton did in fact take the title off of Drew McIntyre to set up mm. a match with Edge at WrestleMania. We assume not only that, but the Miz won the money in the bank briefcase off of Otis. So currently... The champion is Randy Orton, and the Money in the Bank holder is The Miz, which was exactly the same as what the champion and Money in the Bank holder were in 2008, I believe. So, all that, like, me being excited about them pushing... Oh, (laughs) no. It's just... It's just not gonna happen. Yeah. I... Ah. So, we were... I was so young last week. Or last episode. I just... They can't get your hopes up. They'll often be dashed Dude, by the booking. Edge versus Randy Orton. E. Like, that is a feud from literally the mid-2000s. <laughs> like, it's just... it, And not in, like, a good way. Not in, like, an Okada, Tanahashi, Naito. We're telling the story. These people are battling for supremacy over many years of incredible matches. Just, like, a guy who hasn't wrestled in a long time coming back for a ratings pop. Not that we don't want to see Edge. And just, like, Vince constantly putting the belt on Randy Orton before WrestleMania. Like, they did this... Oh, my God. I just, like... I could not care less. Yeah, that kind of... It, it's funny that you say... Like, you're making... You're drawing that comparison right now uh, just between New Japan and WWE because one of the notes that I made uh, throughout uh, this odyssey of watching 55 matches in two weeks was that... Can you imagine, like, oftentimes uh, on when uh, Sonata has his matches, Kevin Kelly really likes to bring up the fact that Sonata was trained by the great Muda. Yeah. Like, and I think that that's really cool, and I love that that exists within sort of New Japan's uh, history and structure, is that a famous person from yesteryears will train someone new, and then you're seeing the protege of this famous person so immediately it's like 
oh, this is Great Muda's protege. I should care about this person because Great Muda trained Sonata. Totally. Similarly, like in AEW, how AEW sort of using these like legends to uh, to have people engage with wrestlers they might not know that well, like Lance Archer and Jake, Jake the Snake. Snake. Yeah. Taz and Brian Cage and Ricky Starks, those kinds of things. So that way older fans can be like, oh, I love Taz. Who is this person that Taz is speaking for? I wrote down the note, imagine if in WWE, Triple H, instead of like being like the booker, you know, whatever his actual like job title is, was like training people in that way. Yeah, that would be, yeah, absolutely. Or anyone, like Edge, like Edge's protege, and then Edge faces off against, and that's the WrestleMania, or Randy Orton even. Randy Orton was like training people and not just kind of like tapped when they want him to be in a feud, but he's like, I don't know, like training Johnny Gargano, and then Johnny Gargano gets called up and they have a WrestleMania match. Like those kinds of things, like that I think would... That's like such that a good way to pass, like yeah, to pass the torch to the next generation. They they yeah. start to do that and then Vince panics and just like <laughs> yeah. cuts their legs out. Like right. con- totally. constantly, constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to dwell because this is going to be such a love of pro wrestling uh, episode. Uh, but I do want to ask you a little bit about New Japan, like you said there. So from what I gathered... Um, there's almost like an anti-relationship with Kenta and Shibata, right? Yes. Like Kenta uh, is like almost like borrowing Shibata's moveset to make fun of him? Yeah, well, if you remember the last G1, uh, Shibata brought Kenta into New Japan. Okay, that's what I was, yes, wondering. And then at, 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 it would not actually be a year ago since the G1 happened at a different time last year, but the G1 finals of 2019 had that big moment where it seemed like Shibata may be getting back in the ring, where Shibata kicks Kenta in the corner. Yes. Uh, and throughout that, Kevin Kelly like said he's he's not... I forget what word he used, but he used like non... He's Shibata's on a non-wrestling manager, like, I don't know, like, just kind of like he's a trainer person. Sure. Personnel, New Japan person, don't get your hopes up. Like, was very, like, on comment... It seemed like commentary was told to sell to the fans that he is not wrestling, but to a degree that made it seem like, is he going to wrestle again? And it's a surprise. Right, right, right. So yeah, they, they have that sort of, that feud's been percolating and it's, it's, it's happening on a bunch of different levels. Cause Goto went and trained, uh, at the LA dojo, um, and is aligned with Shibata and the young lions. So like, when Kenta and Goto face each other, that is existing there as well. And then you have the instances where Kenta's interacting with the Young Lions. So it's like, there's like six, almost like six different people that are like, that could contribute to this feud in different ways. It's That's really cool. So cool. Are, yeah. are, are there any other like notable people who are like in New Japan right now who have been trained by legends? That Someone else? That's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, just because I'm curious about that. I'd like to do some more research about that and maybe talk about it next episode yeah yeah absolutely that especially since we won't have as much new japan to talk about so that would be a good for me it's the opposite because like you were talking about about in america sort of passing on the torch right and sort of getting people invested in new people for me i'm so invested in all these people and i know less about the past so if you can give me a connection Bro, like, oh, oh right okada was trained by this person who i know is great like chono or something i can go you know oh okay well um, and i think that that that's the thing, like Okada, Okada was trained by Ultimo Dragon. Yes, so, that's so fucking that, cool. That, that's another thing that's often brought up, and that's and like Okada, obviously, you don't really need 
most of the news. You don't and need I, context to, to understand. To Okada. your point too, yeah, you don't really need context to understand most of them. Like most of the New Japan wrestlers, they're they're very clear cut characters or wrestlers or personas. And the second that they enter the arena, you know, you can kind of get a sense of who who's coming to the ring, who what they're going to be like in ring. Just from how they walk, how they present themselves, just all of the details in New Japan. And I it, love New Japan. So, so happy much. that you're so invested in it. Oh yeah. man! And this G1 was was incredible. Uh, it would be hard to compare it to last year because I wasn't taking grades last year, and also because I probably didn't watch every single match last year. But we watched everything in the main A and B block. We did not watch all of the Young Lions matches, unless you did. I did not. I did not watch all the Young Lions matches, no, because I've been working on that the kind of the post production on the Storybook Village. So yes. I skipped over most of the. I stopped watching C Block like probably two week two just before the last. You're episode. always so ambitious when you start. You're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna watch C Block, of course. And then by the time you get to the <laughs> fifth episode, you're like, all right, let's we gotta keep this going. Especially when you watch matches. all these fucking Yano matches. Uh, <laughs> oh come on, man! Yano's matches are great, especially the the final night match or his final match. It was excellent. Um, so I, yeah, the, the the only matches I skipped were Young Lions matches, and I started to skip Yujiro matches towards the end. I did watch the ones that you didn't watch. We watched together almost every single match. There's like maybe two or three matches that only one of us watched, but we I've been crunching the numbers here to come up with like our average scores out of five. Oh right. Yes. For every wrestler uh in the A and the B block and I have ranked them. Um and I'm curious if you can guess uh who who came in the top spots. Who do you think uh out of all of our star ratings, John, came in the number one place? Number one, so it's star ratings, so the the matches that were given an A plus or an A. Yeah, so basically, and it'd be the person who received the most A pluses and A's from both you and me. It's, I, I, it's, it's 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 all the scores. Like A plus is five, A is four point five, A minus is four, and sort of descending like that. And it's right. all the numbers crunched and averaged, uh, aggregated. And it's it's unfortunate huh. because each block has either a Yujiro or a Yano to like take everyone's scores down. I was just gonna say that that those matches. It's interesting though because those matches probably. Because some of them are better than others. Like the last y- y- Yano match with Yoshihashi, I really loved. Like genuinely, like I liked all of Yano's matches, but I really liked that match. And Only one Yano match scored above a three, and it was against Zack Sabre Jr. That was an excellent match. Yeah. But uh, I-, I think I'm going to say number one, Ishii. Number one was Ishii up until the finals. Ibushi. And then when we calculated number one is Kota Ibushi with 4.13 stars out of five. Ibushi is number one. Ishii is number two. Ishii is number two at 4.11 stars. Number three, then, I would guess is potentially maybe, I want to say maybe Jeff Cobb. And if not Jeff Cobb, I'd be surprised. I know we both rated Tai Chi pretty highly throughout this. I'm going to start revealing which spaces these are in, Family Feud style. So, Jeff Cobb is number nine on our top ten. Good to know. What's Tai Chi? Tai Chi is number six on our top ten. Okay, that helps. So, I'm going to guess Shingo is number three. Shingo is number four. Dang. 3.86 stars. Naito? Naito is number eight with 3.56 stars. 
Wow. So you have well, wait a minute. Three, oh, Suzuki. Suzuki is number five with three points. Dang, I'm like hovering. Stars. Is it Okada? Okada's number, I felt s- like, number seven with 3.61. I was going to say, I didn't. I feel like Kenta? Kenta is number 16 out of 20. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. I feel like he was. Oh, Osprey. Osprey is number three. three. Definitely. Four stars. So, yeah. Wow. Whoa, that was a. That, see, and Osprey's not on my mind right now, I guess. I don't know how he couldn't be because of the G1 he put on, but like. Just in terms of the New Japan people I'm, like, super connected with at the moment, I would say he's not one. Like, I love Osprey, but, like, just in my own personal fandom, his story up until the final night was not one I was super invested in apart from the fact that it's, like... No, he's just back and he's arrogant. Uh, But, yes, we will talk about the final night uh, later. But... um, I picked so, Osprey as my as my A block winner, and I thought it was a dumb choice. But actually, he was one of the four people to score above twelve. Osprey was at a good tw- choice. Twelve, Okada at twelve, Jay White at twelve, and Ibushi at fourteen. So he could have won. And my B block winner, Sonata, was in fact the winner. So I came pretty close in my in my prediction. Do you remember who I went on record and said who was going to win? I think you definitely chose Naito. For B block, we've had so many conversations about this. I don't know I what think I officially we, I said think on you took Abushi. You took Abushi. I know I said Abushi for one of them, and I was uncertain about the other block. I think it was Abushi Naito. I think we each got one of them right. We each, you got A block right, and I got B block right. So together we were correct, and that's what this is all about: is taking <laughs> our knowledge and putting it together. But just for the full top twenty here, uh, number twenty Yano <laughs> at one. Number nineteen is Yujiro. Then nineteen Yujiro, eighteen Goto. 17, Juice, Ooh. 16, Kenta, 15, Evil, 14, Jay White, 13, Yoshihashi, who was at 12 before Sonata came up from that last match, 12, Sonata, 11, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 10, Zack Sabre Jr., 9, Jeff Cobb, 8, Tetsuya Naito, 7, Kazuchika Okada, 6, Lord Taichi, 5, Minoru Suzuki, 4, Shingo Takagi, Three Will Osprey, two Tomohura Ishii, and one the winner of the G One Kota Ibushi. That's I mean, that's pretty fucking good. That shakes out pretty like objectively in terms of the matches. I feel like we both genuinely like loved as well. Uh, I think so. Pretty much everybody. The only surprise to me is Kenta, just because of my own personal enjoyment of all of his matches. Like I feel like I, I was not a big Kenta fan in the last G One. Like. When he first came into New Japan, I it took me a little bit to get used to his wrestling style. And now that I am, I really love it. Uh, Here's what worked against Kenta. No matches above a four star. So no mm. matches above an A minus and one match that was rated an F. With was Yano. Kenta in B block? Yeah. Oh, right. He had that terrible match. That match was aw- that was. You know, that that was the New Japan equivalent of Roman and the Usos talking to each other in the ring. Like, it's just the two of them fucking around. I could definitely do another, like, score without the Yano matches, but I feel like it wouldn't be fair because... No, it's not fair, yeah. Everyone else had to fight Yujiro, but Yujiro did have, like, uh, twice as good scores as Yano. But there you go. Uh, That's what happens when you're in B-block, I guess. So, Yeah. yeah, I will now send you all this information as well as the scores so you can have them. All right, should we start to get into uh, the individual nights? Dude, I am so ready. Going back to October 5th, the year 2020, G1 Climax Night 9 opened with Shingo (laughs) Tagaki. Wait, which year? Year 2020. Okay, so the current year. 
Yeah, not 2019. Okay, so definitely worth stating. <laughs> well, in case that you know, I'm for, just pos- for posterity, posterity yeah, when they're listening to this in the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. When they don't read the text and they just see. <laughs> I like to imagine this is like playing on some like spot Spotify playlist in like 40 years in like hell. <laughs> in hell? No, I'm just getting heaven. <laughs> but yeah, the night open was Shingo and Yujiro, and that this was the breaking point for me and Yujiro. I'd say, like, I I yeah. was not. I went into the match just feeling like, okay, let's see. And I've had an open mind with Yujiro back, going kind of back to when New Japan had a more barren roster, like around the New Japan Cup in the summer. Um, I tried to kind of keep an open mind at that point, just because it's like, well, you know, New Japan sometimes does do a good job of making you care about someone you didn't know you cared about like yoshihashi this dude year. i absolutely I, i'm a fan and i wanted to give yujiro that chance and i feel like i did even into the beginning of the g1 he kind of came in with like a slightly like more polished look like he had his like his hair is longer it's bleach like it was always bleached but it's like very crisply cr- crisply bleached seemed like ready to be here but he totally is just kind of you know you know the match you're gonna watch it's like a b solid b match well and if you look at the points of the tournament like i think gato agrees with you because he has got only two points his last match he pulled one out i can't remember against you i think it was yoshihashi yeah it's like i even like the the young lions matches i feel like bring more intensity than yujiro's matches do yeah i know when we were rating the young lions matches oftentimes those matches even when yujiro was facing like wrestlers that we love some of the young lion matches were being rated higher than oh yeah because gabriel kid and yoda suji yeah and yoda suji they're all yeah i can't dude how sick is it going to be in a couple years when they're they come back from excursion man but uh yeah this night i feel like had some really really solid matches one of the other matches that i really loved that i feel like is a good like example of why jay white is an excellent heel and why his style of heel works so well whereas like evils i feel like does not yeah is in his match on this night with jake jeff cobb you would think that jay white would do his typical heel like move of like going out of the ring and then walking around the ring and staying away from jeff cobb which he ha- he does later against a bunch of different people but he actually tries to do a ta- leg takedown on jeff cobb at the start of this match i remember and... this i remember this yes that's right yeah and it's I, I just feel like this match it's like okay jay white in this match decided to change his mentality and his approach for the match and instead of antagonizing his opponent and sort of letting the air out of the ball as kevin kelly says He's going in and wrestling Jeff Cobb and completely failing, and he loses this match. He does and, this later to Suzuki in the tournament. Yes, and right. Kevin Kelly was talking about like how Jay White probably won't be able to get a single leg takedown on and Suzuki. He, yeah, it's, for some reason he was trying that on a couple different uh, on the people who you should definitely not try that on. Well, I I mean I've said this before, and I hate to repeat myself over and over again, but. He might not be the best wrestler in the world, but he can hang with them. Like, he doesn't have to... Like I said, like he doesn't have to be a huge interference for Jay White to get him. He just needs a second. He can capitalize yes. on a second's advantage. He is really good. Uh, he might not be as good of a brawler as Suzuki. He might not be as good as a of a wrestler as Jeff Cobb. But he has enough of those skills 
that with a little bit of cleverness, he can go all the way to the top. Well, I think that kind of speaks to what we were saying earlier, where it's like you could get so much, like in terms of character work and development in New Japan, Jay White in doing that, I feel like is a lot really telling in his sort of like character where like in his mind, he can wrestle as good as Jeff Cobb. Yes. Like who cares? Who is this like Olympic nobody who's not on my level? I'm going to take him down with a single leg takedown and then it doesn't work. And you know, it's, it's he funny. shit talks every time to the ring. He could have lost four matches in a row, but he's still going to come out to the match sh- shit talking. Like he's <laughs> yeah. like, that's his, He's unflappably confident. Yes, um, absolutely. And, that, and that's a, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah, totally just, what it is. It's just little tweaks. It's like the fact that he that he does talk so like the cooler guys are silent, strong and silent in New Japan, right? They come mm-hmm. down to the ring in sunglasses and a cigar. They don't say anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Jeff Cobb comes out and he's just like, "Hi, I'm Jeff." Oh, you know, and he's just like, <laughs> "You're just like fuck this guy immediately." You talk too much. You never yeah. shut up. So it's just like little things like that taking the air out of the ball. He doesn't overdo it to the point where, like I said before, like he reminds me of Triple H back in the Attitude Era mm, where I never yeah. wanted him to win because I liked the other characters so much, but it wasn't because he was like a bad wrestler. Like he was a right. really good wrestler. But um, yeah, I think your your point about him is, is totally true. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And there's, I don't know, just the way interference is used in his matches. I know we've said this a few times in comparing Evil and Jay White, but... There's a moment, I don't know why Gato is in the ring, but he is in the ring, and then Jay White grabs him, and then Jeff Cobb drags both Gato and Jay White across the <laughs> ring. Like, it's like a cartoon or so, like a Looney Tunes, like Tom and Jerry sort of moment. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love that. And then, yeah, you, Jeff Cobb gets the win here, which I feel like that's a huge, huge nod to Jeff Cobb. And kind of going back, he got, uh, I mentioned... Uh, I know episode a long time ago. He he won. Jeff Cobb won in a tag match against Jay White and Chase Owens. He pinned, but he pinned Chase Owens. Uh, New Japan Strong episode during the New Japan Cup. And in my mind, I would then I was like, oh, maybe they're going to build Jeff Cobb up to be like a bigger deal in New Japan now instead of just being this utility player who's yeah. an Olympic. Wrestler. I mean, it certainly seems like he can Feels be competing like for the Intercontinental if they ever take that off of Naito or or very possibly the. Uh, Never wait, but he's just been like th- like ragdolling people in these ma- as we go th- along these matches. Like some of yeah. the people he th- he throws in exploding belly to belly suplexes. Is oh my god! Especially like, on Jay Jay White being so much smaller, he just throws him around the ring like a ragdoll. Dude, and Jay like, White's still probably like over two hundred pounds. Like, I mean, absolutely. But like what he does to Ishii later. Oh, oh my god, dude. Yeah, yes. We'll talk about it later. But um yeah, next up was Okada versus Suzuki. This is always going to be a good match, like whenever these guys fight. I feel like yes. what I've thought about with Okada is I realize like there's a lot of people who no matter what will have like a really good match. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Osprey, Shingo, Jeff Cobb in this tournament, like Ishii, they'll always have a good match. I don't necessarily feel that way about Okada. Like I don't think you don't think he you don't think you don't feel like all of his matches will always be good. N- not good. They'll obviously they'll be good, but they not they won't necessarily be like great matches. Like every like enga- match. As maybe the most engaging. Yes, they're not always the most engaging. They're not always the most engaging, but more than like anyone else, he has the potential to have like incredible matches. You know what I mean? Like with the right opponent, like he's 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 got that. Um, 
But yeah, I realized... He's in an interesting spot right now. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no worries. Like, it's always great to see Okada scrap with someone who's different than him. And Suzuki's so different than Okada. And it's like, again, there's no way that Suzuki is as good a wrestler as Okada. Like, it's ridiculous. But if he can lure Okada into a striking match, he's a better striker than, than almost anyone. And I like how, like, these kind of changes in styles can, like, bring people on the same level like you know Zack Sabre Jr. might be the the best technical wrestler in the world but if there's someone who's more of a brawler like that and if, if they get if he gets him on like a brawling sort of thing he's he's toast right right yeah totally dude and that's so true with Okada and Suzuki and again another sort of example you have like you have Suzuki who is this incredibly like severe submission master and okada who is sort of the new face of professional wrestling clashing here and it's such a clash of styles and it's cool to see in this one just the subtle things like okada did not win with the money clip here he won with a quick pin he out wrestled suzuki he did not he did not make him tap and there's no way he would make him tap or put Suzuki to sleep that's never going to happen yeah but against like pretty much everybody else in this tournament, he used the money clip. And it, that's a thing that was very focused on throughout. Yep. Uh, that's a great Where they point. kept saying that he, he only brought out the Rainmaker a couple times in yes. those moments where he had to. Totally. Um, and then in this instance, yeah, he didn't uh, didn't uh, even look, you know, didn't even look to really finish uh, Suzuki with that. And it's cool, like, one of my absolute favorite desperation moves happened in this match and happened multiple times throughout this tournament. Okada's spinning tombstone when both wrestlers are gassed, but he has just enough to like <laughs> catch them yeah. at the wrong moment, flip them over and then do a spinning tombstone. Like dude, I don't I can't think of like another sort of transitional desperation win moment that I like more than that. Okada, I love I love his putting people on the top uh, turnbuckle and then just drop kicking them off to take a break. Oh yes, yeah, that, that's another like great. A break, just like yeah, I I like <laughs> it. He's because that's not like a necessarily an honorable move. Yeah, it like, feels like a heel, like Jay, something Jay White would do, like get out of my ring. Yeah, but it's and, and it's, then with Okada, it's get out of my ring. I'm a better athlete than you. A little bit, and like, but also like I'm human and I need to take a break. But um, <laughs> yeah, this was a, a nice match. It was it wasn't wasn't that long. We've seen these guys fight a lot. Like one of your classic match recommendations at the Suzuki Pirate Fest or whatever the fuck that was yeah. called. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any pirate sound drops or I would hit one right now. Arr. Next up, we had uh, Lord Taichi and Tomo. Uh, this was f- fucking awesome. Taichi has been just killing it in this. Like, he's bringing those, like, really strong kicks. He's got to be one of the strongest kickers on the roster right now, along with obviously Koda and Kenta. What do you think? Absolutely. And it's been cool to see. It's been a long time coming for Tai Chi to really, I feel like, feel like a true threat to the roster. Yeah. And throughout this year, I feel like he's established himself as that way. Like, I think it was the beginning of 2019, new beginning or New Year's Dash, or New Year Dash, where Iska, this like wild veteran, passed his Iron Claw onto Tai Chi. And that oh. moment, I feel like 
is one of the moments I was surprised that Tai Chi got it at that time. One, because he has too many items already, but two, <laughs> <laughs> like it just was like, Oh, that's interesting that Tai Chi got it. I wonder if he's, he's going to be the one that kind of like takes over Suzuki Gun. Cause it was a big deal that that, that Iska retired. Uh, it was a, like sort of a big story for Suzuki Gun at that time. Uh, kind of permeated the beginning of 2019, if I remember correctly. And, but then sort of Tai Chi just was where he was, just a middle middle card sort of never open weight wrestler, uh, but not someone that I feel like seemed like too big of a deal. And now I feel like he really, it feels like the, out of nowhere, Gato could pull the trigger and well, give him one of the big belts. One thing I'm learning about in Japan, why, why Osprey was a bad choice is that it it's very logical booking. They're just like pushing people closer and closer to the top of the card as they're like star rises. Not everyone gets there. Like obviously like Yujiro and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's like, it's a very logical process. So right. Kota won the G1, but he didn't get to capitalize on it. So obviously he's going to win again this year, be able to capitalize on it. And then people will inch closer and closer to like sort of the main event scene. So like we can see people who are, not quite there, but who are obviously inching out of the pack, like Tai Chi, Osprey, and Jeff Cobb in this tournament. Uh, and and also Sonata. Like, I feel like this year he got so close, so it's probably next year is going to be Sonata's year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's very and, and logical, as long as the crowd are, are behind it, it makes sense. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. Speak, and speaking of the crowd being behind two wrestlers, it really felt that way for the main event of this night. Kota Ibushi versus Will Osprey, like... The crowd was there for that match. They were so excited to see the two of them wrestle. And you could tell the two of them love wrestling each other. Oh, man. Like, this is like, yeah. this is the future of New Japan. Is like <laughs> these two guys. Like these guys will, will main event the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. I yeah, think. absolutely. Against yeah. each other. Against like, each other for sure. I think so. Yeah, I, I think long term booking wise, that absolutely makes the mo- that makes total sense. That if I, if I feel potentially if Osprey had been, although it kind of feels like Lij's year, I was gonna say if Osprey had been in New Japan this whole year, maybe he'd be at the Tokyo Dome main event. But I, I think even if he was here, just kind of based thinking about all the different story, the main stories, like this felt like Lij's season. Like yeah. this year. I think uh, I was trying to push Osprey, but I think it's going to be a couple years. Like, like I said, yes. it's, it's all very logical. You, you can look at the points, what people got in points, and you can sort of see where they're sort of pushing people. But I, I honestly, when I look at these two and I look at, cause I've been kind of thinking like Koda is going to be the new Okada, like the stalwart. Yes. I know. think he pretty much is there, but he's like not, maybe not there necessarily in terms of, like accolades and sort of the uh, larger than lifeness of Okada. Like in my, like, you know, Okada is up there as one of the all time great wrestlers ever. Maybe one of, maybe the greatest. And uh, I think Koda is getting to that point, but. And yeah, it's I, like, I agree. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, yep. I don't know. Like, I think just it's, there's he a lot of to, other things. He hasn't that, won like, the, the IWGP heavyweight title. Like he needs to win it before we can even talk about him in that conversation as, like, an Okada, right? Um, right. And I look at Will Ospreay, especially putting on a little bit of weight, like a high flyer who's now a heavyweight, I see Kenny Omega Part 2. So I just, I look at Kota <laughs> Osprey and I just seriously see, like, Omega Okada level potential for these two. Dude, absolutely. Someone who whose slot is a little confusing, uh, moving on to the next night, Night 10, 
also happened in the year 2020, October 6th. <laughs> uh, someone who you have not liked uh, in this G1, but I felt really brought it in this match, Evil versus Juice Robinson. That match, to me, like, it, it made me realize, like, not, Evil needs someone that has, like, where the, their charisma bar is, like, over 100%. Like, right. Juice, Tanahashi people like speaking kind of like larger than life characters people who bring that kind of like maybe focus more on character work and sort of their presence than necessarily like they're doing like acai moonsaults to the outside or something right. like that you know yeah uh, wh- what did you think of evil i know i'm positive you didn't like evil versus juice as much as i did no i uh, definitely didn't um it yeah it didn't it did not do a lot for me uh honestly um Evil hasn't been connecting. I haven't really enjoyed any evil matches other than I think uh, maybe evil Sonata and also evil Yoshihashi and evil ZSJ. Okay. There's been more good (laughs) evil matches than I Dude, I've not really liked evil matches. Wait a minute. Uh, (laughs) There's been definitely more good evil matches, but it's entirely dependent on who he's fighting. Like, and bringing out a good match in him. Like, um, ZSJ forcing him to, like, to actually wrestle. Yoshihashi... Like, not allowing him to get, like, the obvious win and just kind of, like, telling that underdog story throughout the entire tournament. Dude, yes, absolutely. And that's sort of, that's well, and that's why this the beginning of this match really connected for me because Juice immediately starts wrestling evil. Like, he doesn't really give any, there's no breathing room. He just starts pummeling him with strikes and a huge crossbody to really, like, kick the match off. And it's, there's this pace to the beginning of that match or I think maybe if you want, you don't need to go back and watch it because I don't think it was like the greatest match ever. But like the beginning of that match, I think really like you saw, you could see like, oh, if Evil was just able to wrestle and didn't have Dick Togo, maybe he would not be as annoying and sort of like he wouldn't have the go away heat that he does. Yes, and- there's definitely been been a more moments and stuff, and I can definitely see the potential. And I definitely agree that every time Dick Togo comes out. It just, momentum like, is sucked out of the match. Out, like, like no doubt, absolutely. It's just, it's never been fun. It's to me one of the only really truly bad booking decisions I've seen Gato make. In since the last I started time. watching New Japan, yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, one thing that really annoyed me, I couldn't think of this phrasing on our last episode. Rocky on commentary keeps saying, "Ever since Evil joined Bullet Club, that is the phrasing that he keeps using." And if that's true, then why is Dick Togo there? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense He's at all. He's trying to make some lemonade, for sure. Uh, another match I just want to shout out from this night was Sonata's ESJ. Again, Ooh, a, dude. A, future, a future like main event feud. Like Sonata's definitely on the, on the precipice of, of being sort of in a Kota Ibushi role of just like putting on just amazing matches for, for quite some time and not quite hitting the main event yet. And obviously, you know, ZSJ is going to bring out a great match in, in anybody. Dude, yeah, and the two, the two of them ripped it up at the Tokyo Dome earlier chemistry. this year. crazy chemistry. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they could just go go for days. And I, I love that Sonata won this match. Uh, I wasn't... I actually thought that ZSJ might win just because of kind of how down and out Sonata was at the start of the tournament. Yeah, he lost uh, the first three matches and then went on to win the next six and win the tournament. Yeah, right. Very oh my cool gosh, looking. dude. And there's some like really cool spots in this match. Like uh there was like a draped foot cutter that Kevin Kelly called the Tower of London. I ne- I never heard of that. <laughs> it was like uh like his uh ZSJ's feet were draped on the rope and then Sonata hits a cutter 
throws down a Muda Moonsault, and then he went and he wins. Yeah, uh, yeah. It it was a really excellent match, and it was so yeah, quick. Kind of, I like the idea that you have points. to like you have to really move fast to get the ju- the jump on Zack Saber Junior. Yeah. Yes. Totally. If because if you don't, he immediately is wrestling you down to the mat and. Yeah winding you up into weird positions that you do not want to be in. I just, again, I love the idea of like what it takes to beat certain wrestlers. Yes. Yeah. You know? And like, yeah, like it, again, it makes it feel like more of a sport. Like certain wrestlers have advantages over other wrestlers and commentary does a really great job of like drawing that out. Um, it's almost my, it, 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 it makes it like a football game almost where it's like a coach. Need, it's like the, each wrestler is like their own coach needing to study tape on how right. ZSJ wrestles or how Suzuki wrestles or how Naito wrestles. Totally. And if you don't come in prepared, then, you know, I, I know that this is not going to happen. Uh, I, I, during this Naito Yoshihashi match, that was, that was next. I really thought Yoshihashi was going to pull it out. Like, it was such a competitive oh, match. Yeah. I really yes. thought he was going to win. And honestly, what I wanted more than anything, and, you know, it's you know it's not the biggest match in the world, but I wanted Naito, or Yoshashi to win this and then kind of fight Naito on the first night of Wrestle Kingdom for the IC title. Wow. Yeah, that's some your personal fantasy This booking. is my own personal uh, fantasy. I'm just, I'm super into Yoshihashi at this particular moment, and I think he deserves, like a capper for like sort of the great work he's been doing and never really reaching those like huge heights. I think an intercontinental title win would be super cool or even just fighting for it and, and, and losing, but yeah, uh, you're doing some like, that's like a, some Daniel Bryan underdog booking there. I like, I like it. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, see, I, I and I love Yoshashi and I personally, I, I think the surprise and shock and sort of like jubilation of that would be, I would be all in on it too. I, I like that idea. Uh, I'm I see, and I kind of felt the opposite here, where this is another moment where I was so happy to see Naito as double champion and yeah, fighting someone that he can rip it up with, where it's not there isn't sort of like outside interference. Yes. It's just like where Yoshihashi wants to beat Naito and wants to wrestle him down. Yeah. And win as a wrestler. He doesn't. He's not going to use weird tactics or anything like that. And it just felt like at this point, Naito was in the zone as well in yeah. terms of his wins and like really solidifying his reign. Like I don't know, man. It's like nice to see, nice to see him fighting so many different people since his defenses have been against evil and are continuing to be against evil. Yeah, for some I don't even reason. honestly want to talk about it, but yeah, yeah so totally. annoying. And the main event of this night was Kenta Tanahashi, which uh excellent 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 match yeah Yeah. um you know there's some moments in this match where tenahashi is throwing down like huge drop kicks and uh, (laughs) kenta's livid and yeah it's like he and he's someone who's very cool and calm but will get upset if he the upper hand is kind of like one over him in the way that kind of like in like a ZSJ type way, almost maybe not that much of like a ticking time bomb uh, to borrow a phrase from Hiromu, but uh, yeah, totally. Um, this match was great. I liked how you said the most of the match was Kenta picking the ace apart piece by piece. Like ZSJ, he's like very focused with his like kicks and his submissions. Like he will look for a weakness and exploit it, uh, which again is what makes him and ZSJ like good heels. Um, Dude, absolutely. Yeah, he like slowly carved apart Tanahashi yeah. in that match. Uh, but Just classic heel face shit. Like, 
the winner of that match though was Tanahashi, which the revert that reversal was really cool because like the beginning of that match, the first half, I was like, wow, Tanahashi's just gonna get like ripped apart, yeah, and then Kenta's gonna look real strong, but yeah, then I forget what turned the tide on that match, but the fact that he submitted him, yeah, big, so sick, big win. Absolutely. Yeah, especially like, you know, Tanahashi's still getting these big wins like that is really cool because he could still hang with like Okada and dude, Naito. And... Dude, Tana is incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. He's barely lost a step, goddammit. Um, and that six pack. <laughs> uh, night 11, not my favorite night, but it did have two incredible matches. Um, dude, one of one of my favorite matches happened on this night. Yeah. That must have been Kotobushi versus Shingo. I don't know. Just the the their both of their wrestling styles. Kind of speaking about different wrestling styles, they're so different, uh, and they both have such defined move sets. So it's cool to I'm see. I'm trying to like. I'm trying to like lock down like what Shingo does. He's like an old school wrestler, right? Like he has big power moves, like suplexes and stuff, strikes. Um, I feel like I'm, almost with Shingo, it's almost like if New Japan were Mortal Kombat. I feel like we'd always be picking. <laughs> We'd always be picking Shingo because of the deep moveset that he has. Yeah. I think he has more move like Made in Japan is his finisher, a huge one, like Pumping Bomber. Uh, Pumping Bomber, that's just like a, a lariat, right? Like, yeah. that's like an old school. Yeah, just it's move. like an axe bomber, basically. And then his final, yeah. it's total like the final finisher, the Kamagoye, or sorry, not Kamagoye, uh, Last of the Dragon. Uh, like, I feel like he just has so many varieties of like. Like Michinoku drivers and like suplexes, clotheslines, yep. in a way that not not many other wrestlers on the New Japan roster have. Uh, hmm. It's it's cool to see, and yeah, just the clash with Ibushi. It was great. Uh, yeah, and yeah, this is one of the best matches of the tournament for sure. And Shingo won this match, which I felt was like a little bit based off of how Shingo was booked, a little bit of a surprise upset. Uh, Huge win. Well, I think that they do a really great job of, like, even when someone's not the points leader, to, like, give them, like, big wins. To, like, keep... They're building everyone up at once through victory yes. and defeat. It's, like, really, really amazing to see. Uh, wow, that, great... should, that should be, like, a pull quote for New Japan. <laughs> Feel free, New Japan, if uh, Kevin Kelly, if you're listening. They're building everyone up in victory and defeat. That's, like, yeah, yeah that's a great condensate, like, uh, uh, consolidated... Uh, way of saying how great New Japan's booking is. Thank you. Uh, anyways, go on. The other match I, I loved from this evening was uh, Osprey versus Suzuki. Oh my gosh. I, again, Dude, Suzuki a... looks so psyched to be wrestling Osprey. Like, oh I'm my here gosh. to torture you. Yeah, and I love on commentary they're always like talking about like when wrestlers talk, the, see on the schedule that they have to fight Suzuki. They're just oh. like, oh my god, I just want to get this fucking over with. Like, I know I'm going to be in pain. I know that it's going to be awful. Yeah, it's a very it's the most painful test they'll ever take. Uh, yeah, because it's like Osprey has all these like you know fast moves and high flying moves and stuff, but Suzuki's just trying to lure you into coming outside and just like chopping, getting into a chopping battle with him. And you cannot underestimate him. Like I was thinking at the start of this match. That Suzuki sometimes struggles against people who are fast and powerful, yep. but then five minutes into that match, 
Osprey tries to do his like handspring pip pip cheerio and on the outside and Suzuki slams him to the ground and reverses it into an arm bar and Suzuki or Osprey's just like screaming at the top of his lungs while Suzuki wrenches an arm bar on the outside. That and reminds like, me of like a like a strong like a strong jock coming home from college and just getting beaten up by his dad who's like five four. Yeah, totally. Got, you know, that, that beer like man strength. Just like man strength <laughs> old man strength. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's again. That's what makes this such a cool, <laughs> such a cool match. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, his power is the only thing that's going to give him the edge on Suzuki. You have written here, yeah. Yeah, and like Kevin Kelly at one point mentions that most people don't last ten minutes with Suzuki. Uh, Osprey does. Well, that's another thing too. Is like Suzuki's good in in short bursts, but right. he's not going to go like a thirty minute classic with Kota Ibushi or, or uh, even Okada, right? Like he yeah, have the stamina. No, and the only thing that would save him in those matches is if he gets an opening to grab an arm or a leg to wrench yes. it into submission. So Otherwise... he's got to take out. He's got to take out Osprey as quick as he can. Um, who who wins this? Osprey wins this, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't does. remember. Uh, specific, I don't actually don't remember who won this, but uh, yeah, I believe it's it was just Osprey. Like, it, it it was a really really good match. Um, the other match that I absolutely love from this night was, and I didn't probably rate it that high, I think from like a wrestling <laughs> perspective, was Jay White versus Tai Chi. You did not. You gave it three stars, but... Because um, it, it, it it's a match between two people who don't want to wrestle. Hmm. Like, what happens when your tactic is for both of you to go outside of the ring? <laughs> and I love that that story was told there, because like... They're both at the beginning of it. They immediately both go to the outside. Jay White's doing like too sweet with Gato, and neither of them God, are going so to wrestle, wrestling in the ring. Like too sweet. <laughs> oh my God, he's so hateable. I love it. I love Jay White. I used to not get him at all because mm-hmm. I was like, he's not as good as Okada. Like, how could he be the champion? But it's just like, it just like we you. said, he's good enough. He's just good enough yes. to use his heel tactics to like take the that last inch. Well, and in this match, it's like he feels entitled. It's like he feels entitled to win because he's almost good enough. So he cheats <laughs> to like close that gap. I'm very sorry. That, no, no, no. That's a good. That's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Uh, like we, what I was saying, uh, talking about that where he was facing off against Jeff Cobb, trying to do like a single leg takedown. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he feels like he could be on par with a, someone who's an Olympic wrestler, even though he is not an Olympic wrestler and just trained in the New Japan dojo. Yeah. Uh, not that that's not a huge deal, but like, you know, in comparison, it's like, yeah, you don't, you cannot realistically hang with Jeff Cobb here. The thing that I loved was that Jay White did have to flip a switch halfway through and he started to wrestle Tai Chi and he started to win. But just like in his with Jeff Cobb, he got too focused on wrestling and Tai Chi out wrestled him. And then this to me is sort of the brilliance of like, Gato and Jay White versus Evil and Dick Togo. Tai Chi got the visible pinfall, but Gato distracted the ref just enough in like a realistic distraction way for yeah. Jay White to not lose. But Gato just remained on the outside. And I, f- I forget how the distraction happened. We distracted him. And then eventually Jay White hits a Blade Runner out of nowhere for the three count and wins. Uh, yeah, excellent, excellent match between two master heels. Continuing on, a Knight... 12. I don't know if you want to talk about ZSJ versus Yano. Uh, 
we kind of mentioned it before. I okay. There's a couple tropes here that I'm not connecting with. One of them is the ref turning fully around every time Gato goes onto the apron instead of like keeping his back where he can see the action and the interference at the same time. I guess I'm just going to have to live with that because it's in like every like fourth match. Well, and like yeah. seeing it all truncated here, I, I do think that there is some suspension of disbelief or some illogical things that happen that you have to let go. And it's been more... I would say more recently that that happens more frequently. Well, I think because you have several people doing it. Like you have Gato and Jay White and then Dick Togo and Evil. And I feel like maybe you should only have one of those. But anyway, the other trope is uh, this apparently unwrappable tape that Yano ties people with. Which if, like, they spend like 15 seconds trying to get through a fucking bar when they could just, like, unravel it in, like, probably two. I think, um, though, like, in the moment when you're, like, trying to get at, into the ring, you don't you don't necessarily... Your brain this, isn't functioning in that way. That would be the... That's, me, like, though, the regal the explanation. The chair, well, that was... Yeah, he could have just... He could have did what he did. turned it sideways and brought it through the, the barrier, but uh, this was one of the more tolerable Yano matches for me, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree. I really enjoyed it. I, well, and I think it's like, because you have master character work with ZSJ. Like, any anytime you I love the idea in, of ZSJ having to deal with this guy. Like, he's yes, so, that's like, funny. no bullshit. And he's just like, yeah, the, the start of this was actually really funny. Yeah, and just, the like, him... J, J, oh, yeah, because Yano was yelling, clean fighter, clean fighter. <laughs> like, yeah. He's gonna, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the first half of this match, Yano actually fought him clean which i thought was hilarious a great subversion but then eventually when he starts to lose dude and then what, like exact. yeah those sort of antics and then that's the thing see i think i think you are connecting with yano in that way in this match at least because like yes then when it finally rests you wrestle him you you get you, like the wrestler cuts through the bullshit and like has yano down and like a ken shamrock like ankle lock yeah. in the way zsj had here it's like oh this is why it's like theater, I feel like. It's like really... Like, I get you know? it. For me, the repetition gets old in the same way that I hate, like, our truth getting pinned for the 24-7 title, like, over and over uh, again. Yeah. Like, we know he, someone's going to come out from the background, or he's going to do it. Someone's going to come. For for me, with Yano, it's like, okay, he's going to bring out the tape. Either it's going to work, or it won't work. And that's the story, and it's like... It's not that it's terrible. It's just, like, there's not there's not a lot to go with it, so it just kind of, like... I don't know. I get that it's a breather and stuff, and it's, it's I just think it has cute. its place. And I, I, apart from feeling like it has a place within New Japan, I just I enjoy, enjoy I know, the matches. I also. know. Kenta uh, Sonata was another excellent match. These two were very well matched in terms of sort of like size. Yes, uh, I absolutely. Would say. Um, Kenta is the more aggressive striker, and Sonata is just got like the he's just a pure athlete like they said on commentary like he's got stamina he can do flips he's got strength he's just like he's he's the full package in a slightly smaller package than than we're used to yeah like i feel like they both it's like each of them are evenly exactly evenly matched and i thought kenta was winning because at the end he pushes the ref uh, yeah. and i felt like that was a uh in terms of like disqualification sort of outside interference 
illegal tactics was an interesting move in like sort of selling how evenly matched they were. It's like up until the end of the match, Kenta was like, well, I guess I have to cheat to win this because me and Sonata are evenly matched. So Sonata's honorable and not going to cheat. So I guess I'll cheat. Right. But then Sonata wins. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I, we, you wrote it here, but like one of my favorite moves too, Kenta's like huge soaring soaring, Shibata-esque dropkick into the, into the corner. Like that's one of my favorite transitional moves. Definitely. Uh, I just love how it looks. It just like when the camera's behind the wrestler in the the turn. Dude, yeah, it's like they're fly. Like it looks like like there's look there's the hang time makes them look like they're levitating. Yes. Uh, what do you think about Skull End? I don't really like it. I don't like Skull End either. I thought we could talk about that, but I guess we're in agreement. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I don't. I don't okay. like it. Uh, I don't like the spin. Like that seems weird, and it's just kind of a deflating move it yeah. doesn't feel like it like like when suzuki like wrenches an arm much. bar like it's yeah. like i don't want to be in that and that looks Agreed. like it hurts and it it looks like that person should tap whereas with skull end like if you and Even i put with each evil other scorpion death lock oh yes yeah that looks painful yeah yeah no i agree right. okay i just wanted to check on that because it kind of looks like he's just pulling him in for a little cuddle yes that's what i was gonna say if we put each <laughs> other like if you and i put each other in the skull end <laughs> It would just feel kind of like you were hugging me in a weird way. I would way. just kind of be ruffling your hair a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's because, yeah. like, uh, Sonata doesn't... It, it, he's not like Brock Lesnar or, like, Brian Cage, where you're, like, his thighs are, like, enormous. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't look that painful. But anyway, glad we're in agreement. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no debate here. Naito versus Juice, probably my favorite Juice match of the tournament. Yeah, I don't really have too much, like... Too much uh, to say about the match, apart from that I really enjoyed it. Uh, Juice versus Naito, two people that early on in my watching of New Japan, I really connected with and like became big fans of, a big fan of, and it was really cool to see the two of them again. Naito just going hard against someone that can hang with him, that wants to really be there and put on like a wild match. Um, one thing that I absolutely loved about this match, and I think maybe you would have picked up on this too, because. Kevin Kelly started say, talking about this a lot on commentary, um, but just sort of the brilliance of Naito as a professional wrestler. It's like the like Kevin Kelly kept pointing out: the longer a match goes on, the better Naito is. It's better for Naito if the match lasts forty five minutes instead of thirty minutes because Naito yeah. stores up energy and then <laughs> like unleashes it and gets those like combinations and sort of the different moves he does if he hits them you're done. And I thought that that was an interesting sort of mindset and sort of like Naito's tranquilo sort of code where it's like, I'm going to stay calm. And you, and that happened in this match. Juice has Taurus in the hair, baby. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, he's getting punched and like take absorbing moves, but then out of nowhere, he finds that opening and you know, yeah, totally. And, and juice is young and brash and he's taunt, spending a lot of his energy just, like, hyping up the crowd and stuff like that and trying to get the yeah. taunts. And Naito's just, like, lying in wait, being like, yeah, the longer this goes, the more chance it is that I'm going to win. Yeah, like, let Juice go over to the corner and start doing his stomp. And I'll just, like, lay here yeah. and, you know, just calculate what I'm going to do um, Very when I get that I like opening. That. Yeah, I, and, and I this match is what made me sort of realize that. And then in watching all of Naito's matches since then, it's like, oh, yeah, this is his, like, game plan, basically, is to, 
let because he's the double champ now too. So to let people's excitement of facing the double champ get like you know overcome them, they try to wrestle him too hard, which then leaves Naito. Naito shines in the last twenty five percent of all of his matches. And yeah, totally. It's it's really cool to see. And maybe um, that's again why like maybe Okada Naito is not that much of an exciting match in my mind because they both kind of like get stronger as they go along. But that's what makes the ending so great. You know what I mean? That's what makes it like a classic. That's that's sort of the story that Ibushi and Sonata told, basically. It was a very classic wrestling match. Slow-paced to begin, but it felt yeah. like it went by quickly. Uh, right. What did you think of the main event of this night, Tanahashi versus Evil? Um, I didn't like it very much. I thought it was okay. Uh, I see you really liked it. <laughs> um, I, liked, I, I, I liked that... Yota Suji got involved, prevented Dick Togo. I actually did get lost in the heel-face dynamics of this match for the first time with Evil and Dick Togo, where I thought that uh, Tanahashi had the match won. Like, when he went up for the, uh, I believe, the high-fly flow, maybe? Dick Togo, yeah, he goes up for the high-fly flow, and Dick Togo knocks him down, and then Evil gets that everything is the Evil for the win. And... I don't know. I was just so lost in Tanahashi actually out wrestling Evil that that's I w- I was into the match. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I I can't argue with you. I can only tell you that it's just it's really hard for me to enjoy Evil matches these days. Like he he doesn't bring a lot for me. Um, yeah, I mean I'm I feel Tana's like I awesome, want to obviously. see Evil lose and for Dick Togo to get what's coming to him. But then I also don't like the matches while I'm watching them. So I feel like it's not working in that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not It's not working for me. Uh, you could definitely make a case for this match as, like, as one of the better evil ones, like, over the last couple months. But uh, it's it's not connecting. It, it, I, I, it might be me at this point. I don't know. But uh, that's just how I'm feeling. Bro, before we move on to the next night, do you mind if I do something? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Night 13 is upon us, my friend. October 10th, 2020. Night 13 also took place in the year 2020, contrary to popular belief. I think if there was one night to watch, it might be this one. What would you say, John? I don't know why you'd only be able to watch one night, but if you had to. I guess if like you were recommending New Japan to a new viewer, even sure. like Wrestle Kingdom is a pretty big thing to get through. It's like... Yeah from start to finish this is a much more like it sets the table for new japan if you were a new if you never watched new japan you could just put on night 13 which happened on october 10th 2020 and you know get completely in you know ensconced in what new japan really is and from from the the first official g1 match dude ishii versus jeff cobb yeah oh, like dude a plus earlier but uh Ishii, or sorry, Jeff Cobb absolutely ragdolling Ishii in exploder belly-to-bellies, just throwing him, like, halfway across the ring. I'm like, you are the How? strongest e- man on earth. Yeah, Ishii, <laughs> Ishii is, like, moving a boulder. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. Like, the power that both of them have is so impressive, and the fact that they both can throw each other around as if, like, it's nothing is I don't know. Yeah, I, I I thought like at the start of the match, 
sort of towards like the beginning, they do like kind of like a exchange of like different big moves to where Jeff Cobb almost hits a tour of the island, but Ishi reverses it. And I thought it was going to end there, and I'm so glad it didn't because it just goes on and on and on. It's such a it's such an intense winding road of hard hits and big power moves. Yeah, it was really hard to like predict who was going to win this match. I think my my favorite spot of 2020 uh is going to end up being Ishii rising from the dead which has happened a couple times now and it, i think it might have happened in the new japan cup first because kevin kelly pointed it out as like he's like oh my god Ishii's rising from the dead like a zombie and like that that spot he does that here where uh he rises from the dead and hits a headbutt Dude, the <laughs> diving headbutt that Cobb does? What? I can't believe you can fuck with Ishii's headbutts. Like, yeah. This was one of the best matches of the tournament. One of my sure. favorite New Japan matches of the year. Like, yeah. Another one that's in contention for that for me would be Suzuki versus Kota Ibushi a little bit later. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, that match was sick too. Uh,. Yeah, just overall, like I, I don't know. Yeah, it. I, I imagine most people, if you're this deep into the weeds on our podcast, I imagine you watch New Japan and enjoy New Japan because we've been talking about it at God, this point I for like so. an hour. But if you don't, yeah, or if you want, I, yeah, I feel like this is the the night to recommend to someone who's not seen New Japan before. Uh, that being said, you could skip over the second match, which is Jay White versus Yujiro. Uh, and, you know, I don't have anything to say about this. Just, like, apart from the fact that, does it seem like Jay White, do you feel like he might be breaking away from the Bullet Club at any point? What, in terms Maybe of feel that way in this. Yeah, in this match, it felt that way a little bit. I skipped this match because you, you gave it a quarter of a star. It's it, it's awful, but like <laughs> Yujiro didn't go along with the plan. It seemed like it'd been predetermined that Jay White would pin Yujiro, but then Yujiro fights away a little bit, and, and but then Jay White ultimately just like destroys him. Uh, but like Gato kind of like doesn't walk to the ring with him in the way that he normally does, so it kind of felt like there could be a potential face turn happening there. Um, but yeah, moving moving on to the double main event of this night, dude. Kota Ibushi versus Minoru Suzuki. You look at Kota and you're like. Number one, he I, I say this all the time. He looks like he's fucking twenty years old. I don't know if it's just the haircut, but he, I whatever he uses for a skincare routine, I need to get uh, <laughs> I need to get some tips. But um, this guy's like the prototypical pro wrestler. He's like, if you built him from the from the ground up, it wouldn't look like Randy Orton. I'm sorry, it would look like Kota Ibushi, dude. Absolutely. absolutely. And so it's funny to see him face someone like Minoru, because not in a million years could Minoru hang with Kota Ibushi, right? Like in a in a straight on wrestling match. But no. uh, in in Suzuki world, well, dude, he did, wins the match. <laughs> in this match, and throughout this match, did a wrestling move happen? I don't know if you'll remember it because it's been a bit since we've watched this match. But I wrote that down. I took a note where I wrote that. I don't know that I like. I think, I think similarly, you're thinking of Koda Taichi. No, I'm, I was going to say similar, but I similar to Taichi and Koda. No wrestling moves happened in that for sure. Yeah. But this match felt just like a kind of like a fist fight. Yeah, I mean that's that's where Suzuki's going to always bring it, so it makes perfect sense. Um, how does Suzuki win this? He doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. It's a Ibushi is a Kamigoya for the win. Yeah, there's a huge like uh, 
Ibushi hits a huge knee and then Suzuki drops to the ground like completely <laughs> devastated. Yeah, like he was like stunned. Kota can hit those strikes like Kenta that can just drop you like an yeah. absolute stone. He's so strong. Like imagine getting hit, kicked in the neck by that guy. Oh, forget it, dude. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. But then at the end, so that th- th- at the end of this match on commentary, Kevin Kelly said, Tuesday Ibushi is the heavy favorite against Yujiro. I mean, I didn't know he has to say that because that's like what's happening. But it's like, is, does that need to be said? Like we know, everyone knows probably, that. Probably not. Uh, I just wanted to say, I thought it was interesting what you said about the the match before here or that what you wrote down that Kevin Kelly said, the longer the match goes on, the worse it is for Osprey according to stats, like kind of the opposite of Naito. Yes, yes. And I was thinking that's kind of, what, that's why I made that note. Yeah, like I, I, Kevin Kelly uh, during the Osprey Taichi match says that and... It's interesting to think about because he it, Osprey goes full tilt from the beginning. Even just like I think that they could be the most opposite wrestlers from each other in New Japan because Osprey, even to a fault, like does his taunt. That like taunt is a drink. Like Naito would never do that like handspring rollover taunt thing. I mean, I know Naito has his like roll tranquilo, but even like I was going to say he does that, but it's a lot. It's like more, a uh... roll. It seems more fun and less energy than oh absolutely than a bunch of like backflips and stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's a good contrast absolutely uh main event shingo okada i love this matchup there's no it was not weird at all that this was a classic no and we mentioned earlier before the g1 happened that we felt like they were keeping the two of them apart intentionally to then eventually build like a pretty uh, substantial feud between shingo and okada eventually uh this match i really just I love this match so much. The two of them started out really cautiously, sort of in the again in the opposite of someone like an Osprey who's like going like for like a stormbreaker from the start of the match. Both Okada and Shingo kind of are like testing each other out. Like it, it's I don't know. It's just I guess that's like why New Japan is so good. It's so logically just like oh yeah, these guys haven't faced off before, so they're not going to just go into it trying to do all of these crazy big moves. Yeah, it was very uh, well paced, for sure. Yeah, and you know, back, they go back and forth a lot uh, throughout this entire match, with Okada consistently getting an upper hand pretty much throughout it. Um, yeah, and I like towards the end, I thought for sure Okada was losing when uh, Shingo hits a Made in Japan, and you know. I don't know, yeah, it and a pumping bomber, but then Okada yeah. kicks out and Shingo just looks like completely stunned that Okada it's kicked aspirated. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, that's the that's the best he's got. Like he's thrown everything at Okada and can't get him down. And then it then this is the one of the times that Okada brought out the Rainmaker, which is a big nod to Shingo that he had. I just to love that, that that's a thing now. Like Okada's so good that he's changed up his game to like you know, just kind of give himself a challenge, like the Tiger Woods changing his changing his swing from Kevin Kelly, um, but is forced to bring out the Rainmaker to fight someone as mighty as Shingo. That's, yeah, a huge rub on Shingo. Uh, in contrast to a night that you should... Recommend. Uh, I would say night 14, almost exclusively, was a skip for me. Yeah, I, I honestly, this match, or sorry, this night... I think is the most skippable night of the entire G1 to the point that I don't, 
I don't think that we really need to talk about it that much. This night, yeah. for the for everyone listening along and sort of following along with us, night 14 happened October 11th, 2020. The main was Naito versus Evil, and... If I, I don't know. see that yeah. match again, I would be. I don't. I, I don't want to see them fight each other anymore. Like they're not. They don't have chemistry. I'm sorry. The one thing that I wanted to point out, kind of to what you were saying, this is really the only thing that I had to say about this night that kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier. Is sort of the logic. You're you're having trouble sometimes connecting the logic for like what is legal and what is not. Like from right. like refs in New Japan, in this match, Naito is winning. Like rest, out wrestling, evil. And nothing is happening. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I don't remember what moves were happening, but just like the wrestling match was happening. Naito clearly had the upper hand. Like, Red Shoes is positioned to the left of them. Dick Togo is here. So the hard camera is, is facing Red Shoes and Evil and Naito. Dick Togo standing right in front of the camera and then just walks into the ring. And Red Shoes does not throw him out. All he does is yell at him. And then that opens up an opening for Evil to hit a low blow on Naito. And then Dick Togo throws in a chair while Red Shoes is staring at him. Still nothing. Then, while the chair is being managed, Dick Togo uses a garret on Naito. And then everything is evil for the win. Yeah, like, this sounds like so little fun. Like, so, I just can't. It it was awful, and I, it makes no sense, and I hate it. But one thing that I was thinking about... So, like, if, like... It was brought up, I think, on the last night of the G1, not not uh, the finals, but um, night before, that beating Naito during the G1 is as good as winning the G1. Right. Which makes sense, because you get a title shot if you beat Naito, uh, based oh, off of okay, New Japan's yes. rules. Yeah. So... Don't you think if this was what they were going to do with Evil, I guess, like, what do you think of this? If early on in this tournament, like, imagine Naito and Evil had this dumb match and Evil wins in the same way we hate it, but then Evil guarantees his title shot afterwards. So then for the rest of the tournament, Evil just fucks people up. Like, he doesn't care. It gets disqualified every time. Right. And it's just, like, destroying people. Like, you're gonna, if you guys are going to, on to face Naito... I want you to be like crippled because I'm going to beat him at Power Struggle. Then you're going to have to face me at Wrestle Kingdom. That it's would be what, a better story. <laughs> it's how they booked Bullet Club when they were uh, in 2018. Bullet Club was ending all their matches in the G1 with a DQ. So then when people actually got like a, a pinfall victory, it felt like a big deal. And Naito was the first person to do that back then. Yeah. And I feel like that that would have been a much better way to sort of do this like to have them not give a fuck and to have evil be like i don't care i'm here to fuck people up and i'm gonna use chairs dick togo is gonna use a garret yujiro is coming in also like just like to go full full on like yeah we're just here to destroy stuff instead of just yeah instead of putting evil into the basically the end of the the b block when he's already got a title shot yeah Yeah. i agree i uh, i just I, i really don't care about no. How about evil? <laughs> Moving on to night 15. Uh, the main of this night was Ishii Okada. Did you have a favorite match outside of that? Uh, Jeff Cobb, Will Ospreay, for sure. Dude, yeah. G1 really Supercard rematch. Night. Yeah. This was a, this, a really solid night. It wasn't like the most outstanding, but it was a good It was a good night for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, Ospreay and Cobb, 
you know, Jeff Cobb's got that Olympic wrestling experience. So he's not just a heavy. He's also just like can hit you with those crisp backflips and amazing suplexes. So it was very interesting to see him fight Osprey. And again, another big win for Cobb. Like, I, yeah, it man. really feels like they're doing something with Jeff Cobb. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did you say I, they were old friends? You have that written down here? That's what it felt. I said that's what it felt like. Old friends facing oh. off against each other. And they, bo- they both... Uh, you know, they, they had a big match at Madison Square Garden um, and the G1 Super... For the, in the G1 Supercard uh, for the Never Belt. Um, oh. So, yeah, I, cool. I think, like, it's cool to see, like, those sort of rematches coming up. And uh, in my mind, they're both sort of... The, not in my mind, and factually, they're both sort of the same generation of wrestler, just sort of... And have had overlap in different promotions and stuff, but from sort of different backgrounds. So it's cool to see... Sort of these two people who are on the same level from the same sort of era, but completely different like sort of styles. Uh, Both have spent time in Ring of Honor. Both have been in New Japan. Like, yeah, it's really cool. The only other thing I wanted to talk about was Suzuki and and Jay White. Like how how we had said before, (laughs) like Jay White goes after Suzuki's legs and stuff and kind of tries to fight him in in these ways that... uh, are probably not to Dude, his advantage. Jay White, and in this scenario, Jay White immediately gets out of the ring and starts riling Suzuki up, uh, and to the point that Suzuki gets like furious. <laughs> Which is such a great. That is a good example too of like how that how his style of match works into his benefits. Uh, Switchblade. He's smart. He's like, yeah. He's cerebral. Yeah. Um, which is the again, cerebral assassin. I yeah. I called him that before too. <laughs> But my note here was, like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get into these endings, these, like, Gato interference ending. Like, every time someone starts to interfere, I'm just like, why does this have to happen every single night? Like, I just... It's gotten so bad that at that on the final night, Sonata Ibushi, they said no... They kept saying there will be no outside interference. And I don't I, understand why that is not just a rule. Like, in general... <laughs> And in my mind, like while that match was happening, because I was like I was working earlier uh, while I was watching it, like uh, why does why are we at a point where that needs to be stated? Like I was confused and thrown off by the fact that Kevin Kelly kept saying that because I was like looking up. It's like this is Sonata and Ibushi. Neither the how, who's gonna. I think of the, the the history of their matches, there hasn't been any any interference. Right. I I really enjoyed the booking at this point. White is tied with Ibushi. And has the tiebreaker on him. So yeah. they end up having the same score. Like, uh, Jay White's going to win. I really enjoyed how they set up these, like, these tiebreakers and stuff. This tournament's just so cool. Because you have to think so much about it and go, okay, if he gets to 14 points, he'll definitely win. But if he's at 12, you know, if he gets a draw, he'll lose to this guy. You know, it's just, it's really cool. All the different possibilities you can see starting to emerge as you get towards the end of the tournament. Dude, totally. Yeah. Yeah, well, and like... You start seeing sort of the logical booking on Ravel that was right in front of your face, but you just didn't realize it. Totally. Absolutely. Ishii and Okada, it's it's an awesome matchup. It's an excellent match. Uh, it's sort of a slow starter, slow-paced brawl for the first 15. Uh, yeah, dude. Like, overall, like, another... It's a cool chaos versus chaos uh, warfare. I was hoping to see... Ishii get a big win here just because yeah. Okada's kind of just an ancillary player at the moment. Like, he's not doing anything really storyline-wise. I think he could be used to give anybody a big win. Totally. He is Okada, though, so I guess, you know, he should... 
He's got to be. In, uh, he's got to be in like in the the top of the heap. Yes, yes. So he 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 should have some of the most wins throughout it. So it does make sense that he beat Ishii here. But again, one of the other moments that I wanted to point out. And I know earlier I mentioned how much I love the the desperation spinning tombstone. He hits it here when Ishii gets him up for the vertical drop brainbuster, which I thought Ishii was going to win there. But then Okada kind of drops down, flips Ishii over, and then spins back and hits the tombstone. <laughs> uh, and just those moments, oh man, th- those are my favorite moments of Okada's matches. And yeah, it, it was an excellent match. Um, totally. Moving on to night 16, headlined by Tanahashi and Sonata. Which was excellent. Really, um, really good. And overall, I would say a decent like decent night of wrestling, but maybe not the strongest night either. No. I, the only other match that really stuck out to me other than Sonata Tanahashi was the uh, Kenta Yoshihashi match, uh, strangely yes. enough. And it was kind of stated several times that like uh, Zack Sabre Jr. wanted to clown on Yoshihashi, but had nothing bad to say about him by the end of it. was just like, wow, that was really good. And I think that, uh, yeah, Kenta probably, uh, his his heart probably grew a couple sizes here. Fighting uh, Yoshihashi. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the one thing that I love about these matches and this match specifically is that, like, even if you are statistically eliminated from the G one, it doesn't make it any less important to like win yes. or lose. Like, you Absolutely. still need to win a match. Well, because Kenta and, could could win the U.S. title, and if Yoshihashi had beaten him, he would have a shot at the U.S. title. I mean, no. not necessarily, but like he could, he you could, could make like a case claim for to it. say like I beat you in the G one. Yeah, 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 totally, dude. Uh, and you, but yeah, you know, you don't want to have the least amount of points just because you're eliminated. Doesn't mean you don't want to be, you know, near near the top of the heap. You know, totally. Well, and Yoshihashi at the end, uh, you know, ended up I think with only two points, but I, he did. Doesn't, doesn't feel a oh, four, four. Yeah, Yujiro has two. Doesn't feel doesn't feel hurt by that though. No, again, like. When I think of, of Yoshihashi from this tournament, I think, wow, he almost pulled one out on people he absolutely shouldn't have been able to. And that's what makes me want to see him get that Intercontinental title match, because I feel like Intercontinental is absolutely the highest that he could ever shoot for. Um, so even if he didn't get it, I just feel like it would be a nice be a nice moment. But uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. Cause he In retrospect, we should have watched Night 13 together. Uh because we knew going into it that it was going to be good from what Thomas had said. Um, it's funny that this was one of the nights that we watched. Because, I yeah, it was, like, good, but it wasn't, like, the most outstanding night. The next night, uh, night 17, though... Yeah, well, that was kind of the slow... We watched two nights together, 16 and 17. So, 16 was the slow start, and then 17 just, like, brought it. 17 was the other night, I think, along with 13, that I was like, this is one of the best two nights for sure. This night actually might pull it out a little bit just on consistency. True. Man. Yeah, like with the over with every single match, basically. Yeah, uh, other than the Takashi one, once again. But Suzuki versus Shingo, like that's a match uh, of these two strong men that I absolutely want to see. Like these two going blow for blow. Oh my like, god, yeah. And just a welcome rematch in contrast to Naito Evil. Like... They're Matt. We see. We've seen Shingo and Suzuki. You know, we've seen their big match. Yeah, we just Stadium. saw them because uh, uh, Shingo just dropped the the, the neverweight to Suzuki, right? Right. Yeah. And this was another great match. Shingo Shingo wins. Maybe he's still going to be in contention for the never belts. 
I feel like Shingo has kind of moved past the Never Belt personally, but uh, if there's other plans for the IC and the IWGP, I mean, it makes sense to keep him slotted in that Never Division. Yep. Based on what I said before from uh, that Okada is like not not always having my absolute favorite matches, but has the potential to have some of the best matches, uh, depending on the opponent, the fact that Will Ospreay always comes right out of the gate... It's no surprise that this is my favorite match of the tournament, I guess. Yeah, the right off the start, dude, yeah. Okada versus Osprey, right at the beginning. He tries to go for a Stormbreaker, then Okada tries to do a money clip, then there's a reversal, a reversal, and then a pull apart, and they both are just kind of, like... Evenly matched, like, fighting to a draw there. Yeah, and eventually Okada gets the upper hand, but then... Osprey does through an inverted atomic drop and a standing moonsault. Dude, and then there's the spot that you, we, everybody loved, the over-the-turnbuckle flip. Oh, my God. Osprey is crazy. He clears Okada on that, right? Yes, yeah. That, that I, was the that, one, right? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's so cool to see Osprey fighting Okada again now that he's a heavyweight. Yes. Because... He couldn't. He couldn't quite hang before, but now he's he's bringing added energy. And I I wonder if this was another moment where Okada brought out the Rainmaker. Am I not mistaken? I'm pretty sure Osprey hit him with a Rainmaker at one point. Is that true? He did. Yes. And I don't think it, uh, Okada ever got the chance to because the Great Okan and uh, B Priestley interfered. Right. With right. I would. I would. I'd say like at that point would be when Okada would have busted out the Rainmaker. Yes. Uh, but they interfere, and then uh, Stormbreaker is hit for the win, signifying... Well, Osprey is like... Cool, but he even he looks like he's not sure if he should do it, though, right? Like he has I guess a so, but, but in the post-match comments, he talks about how it was all a plan. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah, um, yeah. What do, you, yeah. what do you think of the Empire? Dude, uh, faction for Osprey? Like, this is exactly what he needs to get himself into the main event and get himself into these storylines and stuff. I couldn't be more excited. Like, imagine... This team going off against Suzuki Goon, forget it. Insane. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. So yeah, this yeah. Who, was, who who else would you add to his faction? I, it's so hard for me to do these faction stuff, man, because you know that I'm always asking like who's in what and stuff. So <laughs> I don't know who's who doesn't. I don't have any. I won't off the top of my head right now, but like, I yeah, want Yoshihashi cool. to turn heel and uh, leave chaos. Enjoy. It would help him stand out more. Yeah, like a dark Yoshihashi. <laughs> like he has like all dark clothes. Uh, dark Yoshihashi. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Um, yeah, this like Okada Osprey. Like they've had classics before, but uh, this is, I think, as good as any of them. Uh, a rare moment where like where interference didn't ruin a match for me. Yeah, well, because it's used in a way to build something new rather than yeah. just to like cheat. Yes, great point. And speaking of classic matches, Ibushi versus Taichi, War of the Kicks. I mean, apart from just saying that, I don't know how much more can be said about it, but it was an excellent match where no wrestling move was used. No, just kicks. The entire I loved match. it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was excellent as well. It was voted by the like the guy who I was reading on Letterboxd. Like I said, it was his favorite match uh, of the whole tournament. It was the only five-star match. I, I, I wasn't quite there enough, but I didn't have high expectations for, for these two fighting necessarily well, but yeah and i had no idea like when you told me that i was like oh what could what could have happened in that match to make that match that good that good yeah but uh yeah it was certainly like there was nothing like it in the tournament i would say like it really it really stood apart yeah it would be in my top 10 for sure 
uh, of the tournament. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like easily. And then Ishii J White, like I <laughs> was not expecting to, again, like this that much. Um, this is a, a matchup that not necessarily I am that excited about, like Ishii versus J White. Uh, it is interesting to figure yeah. out how J White would kind of uh, cut down that, that old oak tree. Um, but this was absolutely fucking great. And he wasn't able to because Ishii wins. Quite a few, yeah. yeah, like big, big, big wins that I feel like signify. Like, I mean, Jay White's a former IWGP champion. He is, I would say, the top heel in New Japan, and you know, he he is he's put over quite a few people in this tournament. Absolutely, and there's not a lot of Gato interference in this. I mean, I guess one is enough, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> in contrast, like he he fights it pretty clean for the most part. Yeah, it's very minimal heel tactics are used. Like for for most of the match, it's like you almost forget that it's a Jay White match because he's not really doing what he normally does, like taunting the crowd, going to the outside, like flexing. This is also just an amazing moment because basically, if Jay White wins, he's going to be at fourteen points along with Ibushi, and he has the tiebreaker win against Ibushi. So it's like basically Ishii, while not having you know the most points. He plays a extremely pivotal role in this to make sure that we don't have to see Jay White versus Kota Ibushi, or sorry, J- Jay White in another uh, G1 Finals. Yeah, absolutely huge implication story wise at the end of this night. And then moving on to the the last block night of the G1, right? Or no, is there two more nights? Yeah, no, that's the last one. Night night eighteen, October seventeenth, the year twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> The main event of this night, Sonata versus Evil, you know, going into it, I wasn't sure what to think, but I felt like this was my favorite match of Evil's heel era so far. I think I would have to agree with you on that. Yeah. Because my expectations are pretty low for these matches, and I don't know, I think it was it like, you know, Dick Togo and... Evil both are really easy to hate at this point, and Sonata's moveset lends itself to embarrassing people. Like, the double Paradise Lock was incredible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was nice to see Hiromu come in to, like, super kick Dick Togo off the apron, although, you know, begs the question again, like, why didn't they do this before? I guess right, maybe why, why wasn't Hiromu always there, you say? Yeah, like... Yeah, like any time Evil was like pulling shit, but I guess Naito rides alone, uh, but uh, Sonata didn't mind getting a little bit of help. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it would be that. Like Naito doesn't want help; he wants to do it himself. Whereas in this scenario, because even on commentary, Kevin Kelly points out that Hiromu is not usually on commentary. What's he doing down there? Uh, right. And then he comes. He comes in. There, Kevin Kelly had a hilarious burn on Dick Togo. Where he said Dick Togo will get a main event payday at Wrestle Kingdom if Evil wins, and that is the only way he would have ever got that payday. Damn! Like now, well, I mean, now or historically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously. I got lost in the match, though. Yeah, I knew Sonata uh, was going to win, but you, yeah, you, it seems like Evil could. It's brilliantly booked to the point where, like, uh, in the A block, it it came down to whether Ishii could win, not whether Kota could win. But here, it came down to straight if Sonata loses or draws with Evil. He loses. Evil's got all the advantages, all the cards. The only way that Sonata can win is by is by beating Evil, and uh, yeah, he manages to, to do it with a rollover. So good, yeah. It, it's so nice to see that uh, 
you know, Hiromu taking care of Togo and then Sonata just getting that clean rollover pin for the win. It was very satisfying to not have to have another sort of like obvious heel face. Like last year it was Kota versus Jay. This, it would have been Kota versus Evil. That wouldn't have been a great match. Instead, we got to have the absolute classic of Kota Bushi versus Sonata. This was an absolutely awesome match. Probably Dude, yeah. the sec- second or third best of the tournament, along with some of the ones that we mentioned before. Uh, Ibushi Suzuki, Ishii Cobb, Naito Tanahashi. Those ones really stand out to me. And Cool to see um, Masahiro Chono coming in and uh, yeah. c- cutting a promo. Um, not often do you, I feel like you really even see an in-ring promo like that in New Japan, so really felt important and like it meant something and really set the stage for this very great match. Uh, Kevin Kelly mentions that at 25 minutes in, it felt like five minutes had passed. And I really felt that way too. Uh, yeah. It's and, just really great to watch these guys wrestle. Yeah. And it's not like there, it, it really wasn't a big spectacle at that point. Like it does pick up right after that and gets wild. But uh up until that point, it's a very calculated match between two people who really want to win, who are ready for the spot that they've been given. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're, I, they're both right it. on the, the cusp of uh, the edge of glory, as it were. Uh, there was another great moment similar to a, ma- a moment that happened with Osprey and Okada, where Osprey uh, reverses Okada's dropkick into a powerbomb. Here, oh. Sonata goes for a handspring and Ibushi reverses into a powerbomb. It's just one of the most graceful things you can see in air. One guy's so smooth going to drop another guy and then just like being brought into a, into a powerbomb. So fucking cool. Just after that, uh, uh, Sonata hits like the hardest looking drop kick. I feel like I've ever seen on (laughs) her knee. Like there's no camera cut or anything. It looks, it just looks like he is trying to break Ibushi's leg. Uh, Devastating. Devastating. Absolutely yeah, this was this was crazy. Like there, these were some of the closest three counts I've ever seen in my life. Throughout yeah. The oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, I did not think there was a couple times where I didn't think that it was a two count, and then Red yeah, Shoes, totally. Yeah, announced that it was. And Kevin Kelly on com- like the commentary on this too, dude. They were wired. Rocky, Kevin, and uh, Chris Charlton all were freaking out in a way that made the commentary feel like. They were actually there. I mean, and I yeah. know that they did it live. That's a great which point. Which changes it. But I actually totally like usually forget that they're not there because fe- they they are so good. They do do they do typically do a really excellent job of like engaging uh, on commentary. And they don't make always, it clear but... that they're not. They don't make reference to it all the time. Um, yeah. Kamigoye for the two. Well, Kamigoye, for... and then that doesn't work, and then a Barony Kamigoye for the win. Ibushi <laughs> wins. <laughs> Just knees the guy in the face. What a satisfying. Finisher, dude, and just a just an excellent way to wrap up this year's G One. Having Ibushi win, having Ibushi go on to Wrestle Kingdom. Do you think Naito holds on to the belt till then? I don't know. I really don't. You would have to tell me if historically Naito Kota would be sort of big enough. Like, I I know they're two of the legends, but I don't know if that's like the biggest match that they could book necessarily. But what do you? I think, think so. Yes. Yeah. Because. Uh, Ibushi and Naito had a huge match at Madison Square Garden at the G1 Supercard. And um, just think like it makes sense to book that rematch for Wrestle Kingdom, especially because that a lot of people walked away from that night, the G1 Supercard, saying that that was the match of the night. And yeah. 
it was an it was an excellent match. There's a lot of history between the two of them, and I feel like overall, uh, it makes sense because that night it was for the Intercontinental Title, uh, and oh, Ibushi wins. So, I think kind of a parallel where you have Ibushi win the uh, IWGP belt. It's like every t- it, it tells the story that every time Ibushi and Naito face, and there's a, it's at a big stadium, and there's a lot on the line. Ibushi is able to pull it out. So I think long-term storytelling-wise, that's what I'm invested in. And even though Naito is my favorite wrestler, you know, in general, I would want to see Ibushi win in that moment. So last year you were hoping Sonata would win the tournament in order to go on to win the title to be the only guy in Los Ungovernable de Japón with... Uh, without a title to sort of fix that this year he got even closer are you disappointed at all that sonata didn't win no because it just makes it even more satisfying when you when he does win you know totally like i think i think it just builds that long-term story and it it doesn't wind me up in the way it did naito and i think because i'm a bigger fan of naito than i am sonata but yeah also it's just funny when we're watching wwe we're like so scared if someone loses like they'll won't get a push you know right. what I mean? Like it'll yeah. be over. But in New Japan, you're just like, oh, we'll just wait another year. <laughs> like it's yeah. Centered. Like we'll just see where this is going. We can trust them. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it involves Dick Togo. Absolutely amazing G1 man. I'm so glad we got through it. Now maybe we'll have more time for other wrestling. Um, yeah, dude, it's been it's been a journey watching all these G1 matches. But I'm glad that we were able to actually legitimately get through all of them. Yeah. Uh, man. Yeah, and now maybe we'll have some time to watch like a super card. I know initially we had intended on watch, <laughs> watching like a Halloween Havoc for this show and talking about it. but Yeah, now uh, we probably won't even watch the actual Halloween Havoc that's happening uh, tonight because we'll be I watching AW so. instead. Yeah, Dynamite in 35 minutes. This is actually a fun time to record the podcast. Uh, yeah, no doubt. It's the, Wednesday is the wrestling day. John, did you watch my classic match recommendation from... Two episodes ago? The Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21. April 3rd, 2005 at not the Haunted... Not 2020. The uh, Haunted Staples Center in the spookiest town on planet Earth, Los Angeles, California. City of Angels or Devils. <laughs> Uh, this match was rated 4.75 stars, which is something I feel like we should do uh, with the classic matches. Look up what the star ratings were. Um, huh, Kurt Angle's, before before I hop into my review here, uh, Kurt Angle's highest rated uh, Meltzer, Meltzer rated match uh, is this match. The Heartbreak Kid struts down to the ring as JR reads his accolades. The showstopper, the wrestler of the decade, a man competing in his 11th WrestleMania match, Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid, is ready to throw down with the only Olympic gold medal winner in WWE history, Kurt Angle. Angle stomps down to the ring and welcomes the chance of You Suck. The match is an absolute spectacle and the bell has not even rung. The two men meet center ring and begin trash talking. Michaels scoffs at Angle as they begin to size one another up. Catches Catch Can classic map-based wrestling permeates this match. The pace at the outset is similar to the beginning of Ibushi v Sonata in the finals of this year's G1, each wrestler getting the upper hand here and there with back-to-basics wrestling holds. 
Michaels wrenches a side headlock takeover as Angles attempts to work his way out. They fight their way to the outside and surprisingly, Kurt Angle is now in control as he crushes HBK's leg into the turnbuckle on the outside. JR points out that the brawling on the outside is much more of a WWE style than what we have seen thus far, suggesting that each wrestler is beating each other at their respective games. The wrestlers are back in ring now, and Angle has HBK on the mat. The crowd is split between who they are behind as chants for both Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels reverberate off the arena walls. Angle takes HBK to Suplex City, but can only keep HBK down for a two count. He starts to wrench a brutal camel clutch as Michaels begs for mercy. Angle continues to dominate the Heartbreak Kid up until he is knocked to the outside on a failed Olympic slam attempt. This gives Michaels the opening to climb high atop the turnbuckle in an effort to hurl his body onto Angle for a massive flying crossbody. Michaels' weathered bones hurtle to a drained Olympian on the ground. This is followed up by a wild second rope handspring dive onto the table. Both wrestlers are down for the count at this point as they crawl around on the outside of the ring. Olympic blood drips from the mouth of Kurt Angle <laughs> as both wrestlers make it back into the ring. They are both absolutely devastated as they crawl to the center of the ring. They stand on shaky legs as they begin to trade blows. You can feel the crowd getting behind HBK as he gets the upper hand on Kurt. He calls for a sweet chin music and the crowd booms behind him. But Angle catches the foot of the maestro of the Montreal Screwjob and begins to wrench an ankle lock, but HBK makes his way to the ropes for a break. Angle goes for broke but misses a well-timed moonsault. HBK heads to the top rope, but Angle finds it in him to run atop the ropes with Michaels, gets in position for an avalanche Olympic slam, and crumbles to earth to its core as he crashes to the center of the ring with Shawn Michaels firmly in his grasp. Angle hits a desperation superkick, which staggers both wrestlers to the ground. The crowd is absolutely wired as a WrestleMania classic unfolds before their eyes. Angle finds it in him to wrench an ankle lock as HBK rides around the ring in pain. He is begging for mercy, but is trapped in the clutches of the Olympic gold medalist. After an extended time within the clutches of the great Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels taps in a panic desperation as the crowd cheers in jubilation for the absolute banger they just witnessed. Dude, such a sick match. These two, man. These fucking two. I know they're, like, I, I enjoy it because I feel like it's two people you didn't really connect with when you were yeah. a kid. Because uh-huh. they don't really have, like, you know, huge characters. Um, although they are pretty well defined, uh, they're just not as cartoonish, right? As yes, you were kind of interested in. But I really want to to, to throw it at you because I just thought it was like maybe maybe two of the best of all time, if not two of the two the two best, you know, uh, as far as WWE wrestlers go. Yeah, I'm loving the the uh, Kurt Angle matches you are recommending to me. Uh, the Angle versus Joe, which I accidentally watched and re- reviewed again a second time for our last show, but we just didn't include. And now uh, Angle versus HBK. I, I love that uh, I'm getting, you know, I'm expanding my knowledge of wrestlers that I'm aware of, but maybe overlooked and didn't care about uh, in years past. And that's how so, I feel about uh, about the matches you recommended to me for like New Japan again, like getting to know Chono and Shibata and people whose names I hear a lot, but who I haven't actually checked out that much of their stuff. So, yeah, dude, yeah, I give this match an A uh, slash A plus. It was excellent. That's and exactly the same uh, as the seven point four point seven five from Meltzer. <laughs> glad, uh, glad uh, could be aligned with uh, good old Dave. Um, Uncle Dave, do you so? Do you remember what my classic match recommendation was from the last episode? 
I genuinely don't. Please remind me because we didn't it, include we didn't include it on air. I didn't think so. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think if we had included it or not, or if we said it on the last show. But it's still appropriate. I recommended it to you because I knew it would this. It would have probably made more sense for us to kind of reverse order because I gave you it, it, it. And you should still watch it. Uh, I will. AJ AJ Styles versus Ibushi. Uh, Dude, how did I not watch that? Because I was watching this climax up until like. Two minutes before we recorded. Probably. Yeah, basically. I was wondering, I didn't know if you would have watched it or not, but yeah. No, uh, I just you... decided uh, unilaterally that because it wasn't on the air, that we should wait and you should recommend it to me again tonight. Today. Yeah, that so. makes sense. Uh, yeah, G1 Climax 25, 25 happened uh, not in the year 2020, but in the year 2015. Adrian Styles versus Kota Ibushi. It, like, it blows my mind like to watch this G1 and just to go like, man... There were like so many G ones before this. Yeah, like, it's that, like, like how do you go back? Really, we should sometime we could go back and like maybe look up like top ten matches from like G one Climax twenty five or like an old one. Yeah, I would start around twenty twelve when it became like the, uh, the 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 contract. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, uh, I'm super psyched to watch that. Super psyched to have a little bit more time in my life. Uh, like I say before, I, I, I try to watch wrestling while I'm working, but unfortunately I have to look at too many different documents and stuff. So every time I'm watching wrestling, I am just taking time out of my uh, <laughs> my my life to do it. So uh, Yeah, you can't just have it on the TV while you draw. But yeah, thanks for taking this journey with me, man. And uh, Dude, our it was most one. definitely an excellent adventure and not a bogus journey. This has been another episode of the Torture Act Podcast. No. This has been another episode of the Torture Act Podcast. You can follow my ghoulish host, co-host John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Basque the Impaler, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us at Torture Act on Instagram. Don't forget to leave us a spooky rating on iTunes and tell your friends about our show. It really helps. Oh my god, I'm so tired. <laughs>